Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. What what chapter was it, Amanda? Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. They're smarter than I am. I'd put my notes the wrong, I had the right verses written out, but the wrong heading. So Ephesians 3, verse 7, if you have your Bibles. How many of you are, are Tennessee fans? University of Tennessee football team. How many? Well, we, had, we won yesterday. How many are Florida fans? Florida State. They, they, Florida State. How many Alabama fans? Uh, boy, our MTSU Blue Raiders just had a rough night last night, but we're still going to cheer them on. Vanderbilt didn't lose yesterday. They didn't play. That's exactly right. So we're excited about that. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 7. It says this, By God's grace and mighty power, Paul's talking to the church Christians at Ephesus, and this is what he says. He says, By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. What good news? Though I am least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles, that's us, about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen, Paul said, to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. He then says in verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church. Everybody say the church. Everybody say the church. God's purpose was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God wants to use the church. Beginning today, I want to share a few lessons with you, and we'll continue it next week, entitled, My Church, a Priority in My Life. My Church, a Priority in My Life. You know, uh, we're living in a day in which church planning, there is a revival of church planning. You go across this county or any county in Tennessee and you'll see, you, go, you pass by schools and you'll see a flag out there on Sunday morning where churches have rented their gym or their auditorium to plan a new church. And it's a wonderful thing. We're so excited about all the churches that are being planted. We're, we're in the process of, of praying and talking and looking to plant a, an FWC West on the west side of the interstate because so many people live over there on that side of town. And, and not everybody knows about us on this side of town. So we're looking to, to plant one out there ourselves. So church planting is a wonderful thing. It's it's. It's a revival of it going on. But here's the, the stark statistics. Is they tell us that every church that is planted, less than 50% of them make it a year. Less than 50% of them make it for one solid year. So it's tough planting churches. Uh, and, and here's something else we've learned. That statistics re- that reveal that in general, church attendance in America is at an all-time low. 
And we've learned this also, that the people who are attending church nowadays are going less frequently than they used to attend. In fact, statistics tell us, these are the recent statistics, according to Statistica 2019, only 20% of Americans attend a Christian church nowadays. Only 20% of Americans attend a Christian church nowadays. Of the 20% who tend, in 2018, only 22% attended weekly. Only 22% attended weekly. And then another 10% of Christians attend every other week or twice a month. And then 11% of Christians attend once a month. And then 53% of Christians attend only at Easter and Christmas. Over half the Christians now in America today only come at either Easter or Christmas. I don't know about you. Turn me down just a hair, but I don't know about you. But when I was growing up, you had to go two or three times a week. When I was growing up, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Thursday night prayer meeting, Friday night youth service, and if there was a rash of sin in the city, they'd drag you in there on Monday and Tuesday night. <laughs> Just to keep you in church, to keep you out of the, the wages of sin. <laughs> Hallelujah to God. <laughs> See. But nowadays... The statistics do not lie. Christians are just not attending. I'm not talking about lost people. We're, not talk, we're talking about Christians. Christians are not attending church like they used to. And it's very alarming because now we wonder why is, uh, why is uh, crime increasing? Why are morals so low? Why is greed so, so high and why is our nation falling apart and we scratch our heads in confusion why this is happening and the very truth of the matter is the statistics tell us that Americans are forsaking their spiritual heritage. We're forsaking it. So, um, I, I, you know, it, it put me on a quest. Uh, why don't people go to church like they used to? Why don't good Christian people go to church? Why don't they? And uh, there's a church consultant. His name is Kerry Newhoff. And he's a pastor and a church consultant. Widely read church consultant. Does a lot of surveys. And he has listed ten reasons why Christians in America are attending church less frequently today than they did two decades ago. Number one. He says the number one reason Christians are attending less frequency is Americans now have greater affluence. We're more blessed. Money means options. Technology options, travel options, and options for our children. Affluence is moving people away from being committed to the mission of their local church. The more money you have, the more things you can do. The more places you can go. There are more opportunities you take advantage of. Prosperity sometimes can be a two-edged sword. It can be a blessing on one side, but it also can be a great distraction of things that have eternal purposes. So greater affluence. The second thing is that there's a higher focus on kids' activities. Uh, a growing number of kids are playing sports, and a growing number of kids are playing on teams that, uh, that are travel teams. Uh, 
And uh, now you know me, I love sports. I love every kind of sport under the sun. In fact, I've taken up cricket here lately. And uh, you don't have to run very far, and uh, it looks like fun. You get to hit people with bats and balls. So I think it's just a great game. Uh, but I love soccer, I love basketball, I love football, I love baseball, I love volleyball, I like swimming. I am uh, always wanted to be one of those cliff divers of Acapulco. I, uh, I enjoy bull riding. I, I mean, I just, I, there's not a sport on TV that NASCAR race card, dirt track race, I love it all. I'm not much on this marathon running, that's a bunch of balarkey. But anyway, other than that. I love sports. And our child played, he went to college on baseball scholarships. He traveled all over the United States playing baseball. But many of those sports happen on weekends. And many parents are choosing sports over church. It's not sinful to play baseball. It's not sinful to play soccer. It's not sinful. There's nothing sinful about any of those things. But there comes a time that you have to make choice. And choices are made according to our priorities in life. And unfortunately, a lot of parents now are telling their children, they're sending their children a message. Our priority is sports and not church. And Dr. Courtney just taught us two weeks ago that our children will always be a step less committed than we are. So what type of message are we sending to our kids when we're gone three weekends out of the month and choose sports over church? Recently, I uh, uh, was out here in the foyer on a Wednesday night, and uh, it was right before church service. And uh, uh, there was a family in our church, a family of five, mom and dad and three children. And all the children, they're in middle school down to uh, third grade. And uh, all the children are great athletes of soccer. They all play travel soccer. They're all stars on their soccer team. And, and, and I, as I was coming to church that Wednesday night, I came up by the Siegel soccer fields. And, man, it, every soccer field had kids on there playing. And, uh, and pa- families out there watching them. It looked like so much fun. And I got to church, and here's this family, and they're sitting there, and I know they're a big soccer family. And, and I said to them, I said, uh, hey, it's good to see you. Um, y'all not soccering tonight? And they said, oh, no, Pastor. No, no. We've made a decision on our, with our family. And we tell all the travel teams that select our children and the school teams that we don't practice and we don't play on Sundays and Wednesdays. We surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And I just, I, just, I just shook my head and said thank you and went to my office and cried. Thank God there's still a family that's choosing Jesus over all of these activities. See, and there's nothing wrong with those activities. It's a matter of priorities. So, number two, it's a higher, more activities for our children, and we're putting a greater emphasis on that. Number three, why, why people attending church less? More travel. Travel in America is at an all-time high. Whether for business or pleasure, Americans are traveling more than any time in history. You, you try to get on any plane now, and they're all full and booked up. 
Many vacations and weekend getaways are becoming routine for middle-class Americans. And when people are out of town, they normally do not attend church. We go on vacations or take the weekend off. We're not going to church. We're not going to church. Amanda and I, every time we go on a vacation, when we go on a vacation, she always looks forward to it because she don't want to go to church. And I said, well, we're going to church. And we've had several arguments. on We're not. We're on vacation. We don't have to go to church. I said, I'm a preacher. You, if Jesus comes back and if you're laying on that beach on a Sunday morning, you're going to miss the rapture. And, uh, and But I'm going to church. How many remember when you were growing up, if you were my age or older or maybe a little, you used to take about two vacations a year, two weeks, and the rest of the time you were at church on weekends because you just didn't go much. You just didn't go. People didn't go. But nowadays, people go all the time. It's not uncommon for a family to be gone two or three weekends a month for a weekend getaway. There's no nothing sinful about any of that. It's all wonderful and very relaxing, but the truth of the matter is, when we do that, church is not on our radar. Therefore, people are attending church less. The fourth reason why church is decreasing, blended in single-parent families. Have you ever thought about it? When custody is shared with children, the change, the switch, is usually on the weekend. This creates a shift in the family and home dynamic. It's difficult for the children to be consistent at a church every week or every uh, most of the month because they're at a different location every weekend. And then not only that, how many of you parents that are uh, double parent families, you, you and husband and wife live under the same roof, biological parents live under the same roof, how many of you have gotten wore out Fussing with your kid trying to get them here on Sunday morning. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of the greatest arguments in the world happen on Sunday morning on the way way to church. But single parent families, they deliver their child to another parent and they have a whole set of emotions of being alone that they have to deal with that two parent families don't have to deal with. The fifth reason why church attendance is decreasing is online options. Churches are creating a social media presence and live streaming their services. We do every Sunday morning, first service. We live stream our services. Online campuses are becoming huge attractions where people watch from their phone, they watch from their tablet, or they watch from their TV. And, uh, and that's understandable if you live out of town. But if you live in town and use that instead of getting up and coming to the house of God and and spending your time with other people, then you're just missing something. And that's causing a decrease in church attendance. People are using online. And listen, churches can fuss about it and say they're not going to do it and they can complain about it, but it's not going to stop. It's going to increase. It's just the technology of today. So it's our job to do it well. Okay, But the truth is, because people have options online, they don't, a lot of people don't come to church anymore, to the church house. Number six, the cultural disappearance of guilt. In America today, guilt is taboo. You never want people to feel uncomfortable or made to feel guilty about anything. Guilt has never been a great motivator, but it did make us think before we indulged the flesh. In today's culture, guilt is taboo. We don't want to feel guilty about anything. 
So by telling people, if you don't come to church, you're going to be in trouble. Oh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. <laughs> I remember when Amanda and I, she was, she, her church said you could go to movies. My church said you can't go to movies. And we went, she took me, she drugged me. <laughs> she drugged me to my first movie and I kept going out, out, out. And finally she said, why are you going out? I said, my stomach don't feel good. But it wasn't my stomach. I was scared Jesus was going to come back, and I'd been preached to. If you're in that dark movie house and he comes back, he can't see you in that dark movie house, and you'll miss the rapture of the church. So I kept getting out, going out. I ate more popcorn that first movie. It lasted me for four years. Going to the concession stand, hoping Jesus had not left me in that dark movie house. Guilt is, uh, we don't have any guilt in America today. Don't want people to feel guilty about anything. Number seven, the seventh reason people are, are not uh, attending church with more frequency is self-directed spirituality. This, this is true about society in general. People are looking less and less to churches and leaders and more to other options to help them grow spiritually. I don't know about you, when I was growing up, if you had a symptom in your body or you had a pain in your body, first thing you did, you called the doctor and make an appointment. Today... If you have something in your body, a symptom or a pain, what do you do? You Google it. You go on the Internet to find out what's wrong with you. In fact, when you get to the doctor, you tell him what's wrong by what the, well, what the Internet said. Likewise, spiritually, people used to come to the house of God to hear spiritual information to answer their questions. Now, they just Google it. So they have self-directed spirituality. Number eight, a failure to see a direct benefit. We live in a culture now that if it doesn't benefit me, I'm not going to do it. If I don't see any benefit with it, then there's no use in it wasting my time. And I understand that. We always make time for the things we value the most. And unfortunately, many churches are behind in techniques used to present their message to this culture. The church is the only place where history is celebrated over the present and the future. Only in the church. And, and here's something I hear all the time. I hear it all the time. Well, I wish we'd go back to those old songs. I wish we'd go back to that old way of preaching, hell, fire, and brimstone. I wish we'd get off of all these live streaming computers and TV. I wish we'd just go back the way the church used to be. Can I tell you something in all honesty and trying to be as kind? It ain't going back. Stop wishing. It's not going back. And if we, if we were some way able to stop time and reverse and go back, Jesus wouldn't be back there because He's the God of the I am, not the God of the I was. So listen to me. Please listen. If you're 50, 60, 70 years old, our goal, I'm 61, my goal in life spiritually is to make sure the message remains the same. Let the present generation determine the methodology. Let them determine the methodology. See, the style is just methodology. 
It's just mess. It's the message. We as the older generation must watch over the message and make sure the message of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of holiness and love for God and worship for God. That must, we watch over that. We steward that. We guard that. However they do it, it doesn't matter to us because they passed. We've, we've gone. Our thing is gone. Let them do the methodology. Let's just watch over the message. Okay. Let them do the methodology. If they use certain instruments we didn't use, that's okay. That's methodology. If they sing it a certain way that we didn't sing it, that's methodology. If they present it in a way with the big screens and the lights and all of that, that's just methodology. That's not the message. Let the, let the now generation determine the methodology. Let's just us older people make sure they're staying on message. See, that's our job. That's our job. But see, what we want to do, we want them to go back to our methodology. And they're not going back to our methodology. Okay? Number nine. reason people are not attending church more frequently, they're valuing attendance over engagement. In other words, merely attending church without being engaged in church will never motivate a person to be consistent. The Lord spoke this to me this week, and I wrote it down. The church was never intended to simply be attended. The church is a living body of Christian believers who are actively engaged in spiritual growth and serving their community. The church was never intended to simply be attended. The church is a living body of Christian believers who are actively engaged in spiritual growth and serving their community. And other, get involved with your church. Be a part of touching and serving your community. And then number 10, the 10th reason why Christians are not attending church like they used to. There's a massive cultural shift. I mean, it's just happening in everything. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. Who had ever thought 20 years ago that you would do Christmas shopping online. Who would have ever thought that Black Friday is no longer what Black Friday used to be because everybody does it online? Who would ever thought that? Why? Because everything's shifting. Likewise, culturally, the church is being shifted as well. So the statistics don't lie. Only 20% of all Americans are attending church. Only 22, I think, percent of those Americans who attend, 10 once a week. 10% go twice a month. 11% go once a month. And 53% only go twice a year, Easter and Christmas. So everything's shifting. So I say all of that to say this. I understand the temptation to stay away from church is powerful. And so that's the reason this morning, this message is not to fuss at you because you're here. You're here. Thank you. Thank you for loving your church. Thank you for loving your spiritual life and your journey. Thank you for loving God enough to get up and be here. Thank you. Thank you so very much. So the purpose of this is to give you some ammunition when Satan comes to you and says, you don't need to go back. 
Why do you want them to get them? You're too tired. Remember what they said. They hurt your feelings. They didn't do it like you like. Every one of us need ammunition. Can I tell you, can I be as transparent with you as I possibly can? There are weeks I don't want to go to church. And I'm the preacher. And I don't want to go to church. I'll get up here and give it everything I've got. And then that week somebody has criticized what I wear. They criticize what I drive. They criticize where I live. I mispronounce a word and they get online and make fun of me. They tell things about me that are not true. And some weeks I just just want to say forget it. Forget Christians. Forget the church. Amanda and I, some weeks just want to go to our house and hide on our back porch and not have nothing to do with another Christian the rest of our life. So if I feel that way, I know you've got to feel that way too. My only problem is I don't have the luxury of not showing up. You feel that way and a lot of times you just don't want to show up. The preacher better show up or the whole church will close down. So I understand the temptation to stay away. We understand that temptation. So what keeps us going? What keeps us going to church after 39 years? What keeps us showing up? Well, you get paid. I got paid a lot more doing other things. You don't get in the ministry for money. Okay? Okay. What keeps us going? Let me... Let me for the next five minutes, let me tell you. Somebody said in first service. Somebody came to first service this morning, and I said, give me five minutes. And they timed me. They said, you went 15. And then they said, and next week we won't be here. We're going camping. So, I mean, <laughs> you just can't win. You just can't win. Uh, so, for the next five-plus minutes... Let me give you the... the and, and somebody came up to me last night and said, Pastor, I couldn't pay attention to what you're saying. I was watching you. It looks like you're getting ready to fall off. I know where the edge is. Okay. Don't, I'm not going to fall off. And if I fall off, you'll see a healing. All right. You say you're crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I'm just, three weeks ago, I went to the dentist. Amanda, I'll tell you this truth. Three weeks ago, I went to the dentist. Having pain in this tooth right here. Three weeks ago, I went to the dentist. He did x-ray. He said, you got an abscess. Bad abscess. We've got to go in there and get the root canal. Let me give you some pain medicine, some antibiotics. I said, okay, whatever you say. He gave me some. Two days, I had pain. I started quoting scripture. Started quoting scripture. He sent his word and healed us all. Started quoting scripture. This week I went by. He said, let's give it two weeks. Let the infection die down. I don't want to go down in there in the infection. We'll let it go down and we'll do a root canal. I said, okay. After three days, it stopped hurting at all. I just kept quoting the word. This week I went back to the dentist. He put me in this chair, put that stuff around me. Open your mouth. I opened my mouth. He says, you still having pain? I said, no, no pain. He said, no pain. I said, no. He said, do you use all your pain medication? I said, no, I still got some of it. He said, do you use all your antibiotics? I said, no, I still got it. Some of it. 
He said, you're not having any pain. You've got an abscess. I said, no, the Lord healed me. He said, what? The Lord healed me. I said, I said, I quoted scripture. He sent his word to heal us all. He did another x-ray, came back in. He said, where'd your abscess go? I said, the Lord healed me. Get me out of this chair and you're not charging me for this. You're not charging me for this. He wanted to charge me $72 to tell him I was healed. I said, I ain't paying that. I'm paying it. I'll give an offering to the Lord. He's the one who healed me. You didn't do anything. He's my friend, so he understood. So, let me, let me give you some, some... I'm not going to fall, so understand that. So give, let me give you, just for a moment, the theological ammunition on why you should attend church. Let me, next week, I'll give you the practical reasons why. You should attend church because of your gifts. You need to attend church because, so people can hear the gospel. You need to attend church so you can use your gifts to be a blessing to somebody else. I'll give you all those practical reasons. Let me this morning give you the theological reason why you need to come to church. And it's ammunition for you to use when Satan comes to tempt you to stay away. Okay? That's all it is. Turn with me real quickly, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build, what's these next two words? My church. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And his disciples say, some of them are saying you're John the Baptist who's risen from the dead. Others are saying you're Jeremiah, one of the great prophets. Others are saying you're Elijah that came back from heaven. Remember, Elijah was caught up into heaven. And others are saying you're some of the other prophets. But Simon Peter said, no, 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 no. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, Simon Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What is he saying? He's saying, you're not going along with the crowd. You're not doing, you're not saying, and you're not seeing the way everything, everybody else sees it. You're, you've latched on to something eternal. And he says, upon this revelation that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen to what the Lord says. The Lord said, he declared that the church was his. It's his church. It's not the preacher's church. It's not the board's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's not the people's church. It's not the city's church. It's not the organization's church. It's the Lord's church. He's the owner. He's the CEO. And he's the founder. The church is the personal possession of God. It's his church. And, and the way he got it was very unique. He didn't steal it. He didn't get it from a family member that passed it down to him. 
You know, a lot of businesses in town, one father's gift, grandfather's give it to fathers, fathers give it to children. It just, Jesus didn't get it that way. It's his church. How did he get it? Well, turn with me over to Acts chapter 19. Look at Acts chapter 19. Paul is, uh, he's going to uh, Ephesus. He's at Ephesus preaching the gospel. And it says, Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue. Now notice this. He left the church. The synagogue was the church. Paul was preaching at the church and people got tired of him preaching in the church and they didn't want to hear the message anymore. And he left the church and took the believers with with him, then he daily held discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannius. The King James does it better. It says he went to the school of Tyrannius. Listen to the message here that is being proclaimed. Listen to the model. The church rejected the message of God, and Paul went to schools. The next revival that hit this city will start at MTSU. The next revival will start in the schools. That's where it's going to happen. Paul took his message to the church. The church didn't embrace it. Where did he go? He went to the young people who are hungry and waiting to listen. Okay? Now, he left the synagogue, took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for the next two years. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both the Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Notice the revival spread from the school all over the region. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on the sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. This went on for three years. He finally leaves and goes to other places, starts other churches. While he's gone from Ephesus, churches start up from this great revival. And now he heads back to Ephesus and he's on his way to Jerusalem and he knows he'll never leave Jerusalem alive. So he's heading to Jerusalem and he stops by Ephesus to give the leaders, the pastors of the church, a parting farewell. And we pick it up in verse number of Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He's talking to the pastors. He says, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church. Now notice this next phrase. Which He has purchased with His own blood. Verse 29, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. Notice what he says in verse 28. His parting words to these pastors. Guard yourselves and God's people, God's people, God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church. God's church. He's the CEO. He's the owner. Why? Because He purchased it with His own blood. What did He pay for it, the church? How did He get it? How did He become the owner? He gave His life for it. 
Paul confirms that the church is God's possession because he, God gave his own life, his blood for the church. He purchased the church not with corruptible money, but with his very life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at 1 Peter, real quickly. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Notice what it says. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from this empty life you inherited from your ancestors. God paid a ransom. You're so valuable, God paid for you. Satan stole you. Satan steals everything you have. But God paid for you. He legally bought you. God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. What is the theological reason why church should be a priority in my life? What is the theological reason? I'll tell you next week the practical reason. What is the theological reasons? Here it is. Jesus gave his life for me. I owe him my life and my allegiance. I cannot pay him back for what he did, nor does he require it. But I can demonstrate my appreciation and thanksgiving for his sacrifice by loving what he loves and hating what he hates. And he loves the church. See, the simple truth is this. When we neglect church or rejecting church, we are saying that what God deems valuable is not valuable to me. When we reject the church or neglect the church, what we're saying is what God deems valuable is not valuable to me. And when we neglect the church or reject the church, what we're saying is His sacrifice was in vain. Giving his life was in vain when we neglect the church because he gave his life for the church. For the church. The temptation to stay away is so strong. And in this age in which we're living, it's going to increase. Paul said it this way. In the book of Timothy, he told young Timothy, he says, the Holy Spirit says... That in the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Paul said it, 1 Timothy. He said, know this also, that in the latter days, some, not all, but some, shall depart. The word depart there means slowly turn. They will slowly turn from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. See, there is a seducing spirit that's trying to seduce you by saying, out here is more beneficial than in the church. And it's constantly pulling you away. 
that's pulling you away. And really what it comes down to is not what can the church do to entertain me to entice my flesh. It really comes down to, to how much do I value what he values? And how much do I love what he loves? That's the theological reason why you and I should go to church. And that's what keeps me going. Not to get a paycheck. Not to make sure you like me. But I want to hear him say one day, well done. Good and faithful servant. He that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I want to be fit for the kingdom of God. Stand with me, would you?